If you're new to church, you're just visiting, you're exploring the faith, then it might seem a little strange that we're reading about a king from about 2,700 years ago and what he did in his kingdom. But the history of Israel has been written down uh, for us in order to teach us about Jesus and what it means to follow him. And as we uh, listen and learn from the history of Israel, uh, we, we learn and get a better understanding of what it means that Jesus has saved us, how he saved us, and what it means to live for him. And so where we are at the moment in this part of the scriptures is we are uh, in this portion of Israel's history where, they, where we're following along king after king after king, which is, uh, and this period of time is, is telling the story from the time of uh, the beginning of their kings with one of their greatest and most famous kings, David, right through to the time when uh, they end up being removed out of their land with their final uh, king. And at this point in the history, as we come across uh, this king named Josiah, we hit the best king ever. One of my daughters, she she says this phrase, um, this is the best day ever. (laughs) And that can happen when, you know, it may have just been an average day, but all of a sudden ice creams come out for a surprise pudding and it's the best day ever. And as you're reading Kings and you come across Josiah, you just think, wow, this is the best day ever. Ever. This guy has totally nailed it. His response is absolutely brilliant to the Lord. Now what's driving the whole story in these, these pair of books, 1 and 2 Kings, uh, is some verses that I'll read from chapter 2. At the time when David was about to die, he gives this word to his son Solomon. So listen to what it says. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and here's the key part, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements, as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And it's just a few verses later that the Lord says the same thing to Solomon in a dream. He says to him, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart, 
and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. So it's a principle here that many of us are just familiar with in life, which is if the king of Israel will keep all the instructions of the Lord, that's the God of Israel, then his kingdom will continue and the people will be blessed in the land. But if he ignores the instructions of the Lord, all of his rules, all of his commands, then the people will be removed and that king will um, no longer rule. And no king has done it like Josiah. What a response. And so what we're going to do is we're going to learn lessons by following along, looking at Josiah's response. But Josiah's response, after we've finished reading this wonderful response, there is a surprise in the end. So let's follow follow Josiah's response and then we're going to see what really catches us off guard. First thing that Josiah does really well is in verses 3 to 7. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azalia, the son of, this is chapter 22, the son of Meshalam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah the priest and make him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple and make these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. The carpenters, the builders and the masons also make them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are acting faithfully. What's he doing? He's focusing on the temple. That's the first good thing that Josiah does. To focus on the temple is a way of saying, hey, hey, people, hey, nation, we need to get God back at the center of the life of this nation. By focusing on the temple, by focusing on the repairing of the temple, that's a way of saying this particular God, this God who we call the Lord, who is the one and only true God out of all the so-called gods, who is the creator of everyone and everything, this God we need to we need to put him back at the center of this na- of our nation's life he focuses on the temple that's the first good thing he does but what happens is hilkiah the priest who's at the temple so shaphan is sent to hilkiah the priest the priest is at the temple he discovers there the book of the law which was Uh, the law given to the nation of Israel uh, at its beginning when it first formed a relationship with the Lord and this law had these instructions in it and it was the covenant that they were required to keep. It was the, they were the terms as it were um, by which the relationship with the Lord would be maintained and they would remain in the land. So we read in verse 8 to 12, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the secretary, 
Remember, Shaphan's gone to Hilkiah the priest. He's, let's fix the temple. But Hilkiah then says back to Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gives it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. We've started that temple repair work. That's good. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam. uh, Sorry, let's just pause there. He tore his robes. What has he done? This is just the perfect response. He's read in the book of the law, which which contains um, all those commandments given by Moses. He's read in that book that if the people obey, they'll be blessed in the land. If the people disobey, there'll be um, punishments from the Lord and they'll end up being removed from the land. He's looking around. He sees the state of the land. He sees the instructions and he says, and he recognizes we're not doing these things. We've not put our focus on the temple. We're not living like this as, like this as a society. And what does he do? He repents. That's what tearing his clothes is about. That's a way of him saying, this is a, a visual way of him saying, I really feel those words. Those words have really got me. They've really hit my heart and I'm expressing sadness to the Lord. I'm, I'm saying, this is a terrible state of affairs. That's, that's a brilliant response. So he's, setting, he's gone to fix the temple. He hears the, he hears the, the voice of the Lord. He, he discovers that they've, they've been sinning. And he's heartbroken over that. That's a brilliant response so far. What does he do next? He inquires of the Lord. Like, this, is, this is perfect response. So verse 12 uh, he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's attendant. So he's got these, these guys around him. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Brilliant. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. So what are they doing? They're saying, we need to get a word from her. We need to go to the prophet, the one that the Lord is speaking through. We need to hear what he has to say about this situation. And what she says in verses 15, I won't read that whole section out, but what she says effectively in verses 15 through to verse 20 is she says, yes, Josiah, you've read it correctly. Because of the great sins of the nation, because they've, they've rejected the, their relationship with me, they've rejected uh, my rules and instructions, they're not living as uh, the people in my kingdom ought to live, then I'm going to remove these people from my kingdom. It's my kingdom, they're my rules, They've not been living this way. I'm going to remove them. But, says the prophet, prophetess, because you, Josiah, have repented, you are not going to see it in your days. I'm going to delay that until you've died. 
So you won't see that great destruction that comes upon the nation as I remove them out of my land. But there, at that point, is where we see another good response by Josiah. And if you were here listening to, um, if you've been listening to the last couple of weeks, uh, it stands in contrast to Hezekiah's response. Because what did Hezekiah do when he heard that judgment was coming upon the nation, but that he wouldn't see it? He said, okay, good, as long as it doesn't happen in my day. Josiah, look at his response in verse 23. He said, it says here, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Josiah doesn't just say, well, at least it's not going to happen in my day. Phew, I've repented and the Lord has been gracious to me. Let's leave it there. No, he doesn't do that. He's thinking of a legacy. This is, a, this is the great response. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking to himself, the Lord has been gracious to me. Maybe we'd pull the whole nation in on this. Let's get Let's all turn back to the Lord. The Lord will show favor to us. We've heard the prophets say, uh, if you repent, perhaps the Lord will be gracious. So what does he do? He gathers them all together. Um, He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and in this way confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So far, amazing. He's literally just done exactly what a king in that situation should have done. And if you're hearing the words, if you're new to the words of Jesus or you're new to the words of the Bible... There's a similar parallel here. There's there's a lesson that can be learned for you, which is if you hear the words of the Lord to you, the words of God, the message of Jesus spoken to you, and you feel that pang, that conviction, that sting of your own sin, if you repent and turn to the Lord, turn to him and ask for forgiveness, ask that he would have mercy on your life, the Lord will do that. That same dynamic hasn't changed. You can call out on the name of Jesus now and you will be saved tonight. That is still the right response of anybody to hearing about how we have not lived in God's world the way that God has made us to live. In relationship with him, obedient to him as creatures made in his image, to, made for his glory and people who are made to love Uh, other people as ourselves. But that's not where I want to stop. Because Josiah is not done. He now goes on a thorough purge. And that's what we read in chapter 23. What we read was Josiah now just going to every single corner to remove every piece of idolatry, that's false worship, wrong living, out of the kingdom. Let's look what he does. In verse 4, what does he do? He's, he's straight to the temple. The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers, 
to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. So what is there? There's in the, in the, in the Lord's temple, there's these images, articles rather, that were made for other so-called gods that people put their trust in, Baal and Asherah. And he says, we need to remove all of those out of the temple. Then he, um, verse 5, he deals with the priests. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry hosts. In verse 6, he now takes the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. Verse 7, now it's about the shrine prostitutes. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. Verse 8, it's about the high places. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priests had burned incense. What does this mean? Well, often we'll read of one of the kings in Israel's history and we'll read about that king being a good king But what you get quite often is it's written after we're told that they're a good king. It says, but the high places were not removed from Israel. And what the high places were, were they were these sort of on the hills. Perhaps it's often said that it's under a tree. There would be little sort of smaller places of worship. So they're not the major places of worship. They're the smaller places of worship that people would still go to. And there might be those, those, um, those little places of worship would be perhaps dedicated to a particular god and they would have a priest who was associated with a different god. And you might go there and you might offer your sacrifice there or burn some incense there. You might be involved in some worship practices there in order to receive the favor and keep the peace with that particular god as well and another one over here for another particular god. And, and you've got your trust in a number of places. You've, you, you've, you've got your... Uh, there is still a sense in which you have multiple gods in your life. But they're not the big ones. They're not the major ones. The big major one is the temple in Jerusalem. But by dealing with the high places, this is unique. Josiah really is going in and he's saying... We are taking out even the small, the smaller places where there is unfaithfulness to the Lord. The equivalent, I suppose, of our lives might be those ways in which we think, I've got the bulk of things sort of organized in my life. I avoid the big major sins. I've got the major right pieces in my life in place. I come on Sunday and I do a few other things that, at least in my mind, are the other major Christian things. But there's a few other things around the edges that let's not get too stressed about those things. There's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I know that's probably not quite right, but it's not that serious. Josiah is... That's totally not what Josiah's like. Josiah is, 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 
it's like he's pushing right out into every one of those spaces and saying, no, there's one corrupt word has come out of my mouth and I don't want one corrupt word coming out of my mouth. There's one look at something that I shouldn't be looking at and I don't want, I don't want that in my life. There's one, there's one lie. It's a small, I don't want one small lie. There's one tiny bit of stinginess or greed. I don't want that one tiny little bit in there. He's going out and he's purging absolutely everything. It's what devotion really looks like. He keeps going, verse 10, he deals with Topheth and Molech, and by the time we get to verse 13, Solomon appears on the scene. It says, the king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem, on the south of the hill of corruption, the one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. So we're now reminded, we're going all the way back to Solomon. We're going back in the story, reminded of, remember how Solomon made all these other gods, uh, made all these other um, places for his wives to worship their gods. Josiah is going right back there, right back to these roots, and he's getting really serious. These things have lasted for years. Nobody's destroyed these things. Very old, long-standing sins in the life of the people. Verse 15, what does he do? Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam. He deals with that as well. He deals with the Samaritan shrines in verse 19 and their priests in verse 20. What does he then do? He sets up the Passover in verse 21. The king gave this order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Not since the days of the judges who led Israel nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. And then verse 24, uh, the last one, is you just have this sort of generic. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, uh, the idols and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. Look at verse 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him. And doesn't this capture it now? We've, we've walked through, we've listened to this, his response. Who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. When you get to that point, you go, yep, that is exactly what he did. And we really felt it. We've got this little book at home, it's called The Smartest Giant in Town, and maybe you know it. And 90% of the book is made up of this giant, and he, he, he sort of starts out in raggedy clothes, and he goes and he buys himself a very nice suit. And, and then we follow him along his little journey, and as he goes along, he bumps into these other little characters along the way, and he, re- and he sees their need, and he gives items of his clothing to the other animals in need. He gives his tie to one animal that needs it. He gives his shoes to another one. He ends up giving his belt away and he gives his smart top away. And By the time you get to the end of the story, <clears throat> the, as I say, the bulk of the book, about 90% of the book, you're sort of going along and you sort of get what's happening. Okay, we get this. We, we see what the giant's doing. He's giving away everything. And he's all dishevelled by the time he gets to the end. And then on the final page... Of the, of the book, the other, all the animals make up a little song for the giant. 
And it says, you know, he did this and he did that. And he does this and he does that. And he's the kindest giant in town. Not the smartest giant anymore. He's the kindest giant. And by the time you get to that point in the book, you go, you've seen by watching him be the kindest giant. And that final page puts the words in your mouth that you wanted to say. You're like, yeah, that's right. He is. That's, that's what he is. He's the kindest giant in town. It's the same thing here with Josiah. We've just seen him have the best response ever, be completely devoted to the Lord, and we've seen that cashing out with his response, with his with, um, wanting full devotion in the temple, gathering all the people, renewing the covenant, having the Passover, getting rid of absolutely every priest and shrine and temple, and then we get told in verse 20, 25 exactly what he is. Nobody's like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. This is the best king ever. And it's a long tale, and the, king, uh, and the writer of Kings wants us really to get that and to feel that. But then, here comes the surprise. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. What? So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said, there shall my name be. Now if we're reading, as we're reading along 1 and 2 Kings, we get to hear and we hear that and we go, what? You've, this has been the best king. You couldn't have had a better response. You couldn't have done things better. What about what's going on? Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger. What? Here's the lesson. Josiah teaches us about the Lord Jesus. In one aspect of his work. And he teaches us about the other aspect of the Lord Jesus' work. By what he's not able to do. Josiah is not able to rescue the people. The most best lived king alone is not able to rescue the people. Why? Because satisfaction for sin. Punishment for sin. Must take place the sins of Manasseh cannot just be washed aside they can't just be put to the side God is just and righteous and so we see in the life of Josiah half the work of Jesus and by the fact that he is not able to keep the people in the land we see the other side of Jesus' work. As sinners, we have a twofold debt that we have to pay. What it means to be righteous, what it means to be a person who's made in the image of God and live the life that we ought to have lived, means doing all the things we ought to do and avoiding all the things we ought to avoid. 
It's, it's not just avoiding all the things we shouldn't do. There is a positive life to live. But once we have sinned, there is a penalty to be paid for that sin. There is justice to be had for that sin. Punishment needs to be punishment needs to be exacted. And we see that through the the insufficiency of Josiah. So when the Lord Jesus comes to be the man that we uh, to be the person and live the life that we ought to have lived and to die he comes also to die the death that we deserve to die. And so Jesus's work is is a work of two halves you could say. He both is the person who who lives with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength completely in accordance with the law of Moses. He does that in our place. He lives the life we ought to have lived, completely devoted. But at the same time, he gives himself up as a sacrifice to receive and bear the punishment deserving for the ways that we've not loved the Lord with all of our hearts, soul, mind and strength. And in that way, he's able to completely save us. Because God's justice is satisfied because Jesus has paid that debt with his own life and he's also been the better Josiah who has really and truly, perfectly, even better than Josiah, loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength. So in the pages of the history of Israel... And in the good King Josiah, we actually see the Lord Jesus. We see a shadow here of the of the of his obedient life and the good that he did, and we also see that that alone is insufficient for our salvation because sin must be paid for. And then as we come back and think about our own lives and we see that Jesus is our King and our Saviour, don't we want to be like him? Don't we then want to follow along and love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, soul, minds and strength, the one who's rescued us? Don't we want to be like Josiah and say, yes, remove all the high places out of my life, God. Help me to be receptive to your word and respond with humility and faith. And seek your face whenever I feel convicted of sin. Help me to be somebody completely devoted to you. And not just for my sake, but to bring people along with me into that as well. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we ask that you would press the work of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord, into our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. Make us captivated by him and long to live faithfully for him. Amen.